So we've seen smart diplomacy at work. And what is the result? More agitation by Russians inside Ukraine. And now the Pentagon says a Russian aircraft made about a dozen low-level flights near a U.S. Navy warship in the Black Sea, calling the actions provocative. We'll see if they've provoked a response from the Weekly Standard's Bill Crystal. Bill, thanks for your time. Hi, Michael. How are you? Uh, I'm better than anybody in the Ukraine who doesn't want to be part of the former Soviet Union. That's it's really, it's really pathetic, and the Soviets, the Russians, are, are now taunting us. It almost seems, and mm-hmm. we seem to do uh, be doing very little about it. In fact, uh, I discovered over the weekend, I wrote a little thing last night on the Weekly Standard blog that uh, the State Department and the White House may go along with this. Wants to give the Russians permission to do certain things on these open skies flights. They they're entitled to fly over the U.S. We fly right. them over, this, over Russia. I add some sensors that would, I gather, the Defense Department and the intelligence agencies think would be just help the Russians spy more. They're kind of appalled, but it looks like Obama may side with the State Department in this internal fight. The State Department, I guess, uh, thinks that we've just got to be nicer to the Russians, and maybe they'll finally be nice to us. You know, it was uh, of, of the many, many humiliations of alleged smart diplomacy. How awful was it that we were uh, a pr- announcing that we were ahead of our targets in the, under the New START Treaty, the treaty about our nuclear weapons, that we were bragging about how we were doing more than our treaty with the Russians demanded, even as the Russians were extending the Moscow version of a middle finger and pushing their way into Ukraine and being belligerent. They were being as bad as they could be, and we were being as you know, conciliatory as we could be. I couldn't make that make sense. As you say, it's the smart power. Whenever people say smart power, you know they're... <laughs> justifying something pretty stupid usually and often very weak. I mean, I've often, I sometimes joke that, you know, I'm in favor of dumb power, not smart power, because it's such a kind of silly, I think the idea was invented at Harvard Kennedy School, and oh my God, we can get beyond the kind of hard power, soft power, and right. we, we can really be smart and clever. And of course, whenever you start saying that kind of thing, it's usually uh, a rationale for rationalization for not doing certain difficult things you have to do. And there's no way to be clever about it. You know, either we're going to have a serious defense budget or not. Either we're going to stand up uh, with Ukraine and help them against the Russians or not. I, I was talking with someone in the intelligence world, and obviously uh, this person wouldn't reveal anything classified, but I guess it's been reported we seem to be very wary of sharing even uh, intelligence with the Ukrainian government because we don't want to be provocative towards Russia. So the Ukrainians don't, or we're not helping them by at least telling them where the Russian troops on their border are massed. So. Uh, we haven't given any lethal weapons, I guess, until uh, I think we still haven't to the Ukrainians. So it's really bad. And, it's, and the main, uh, the other thing is this is seen all over the world. I was so struck when I've, I've done a little traveling over the last, you know, six nine months mm-hmm. in Japan of all places. Uh, and the Japanese, uh, one of the senior official I was meeting with, talked about Syria. I mean, people know when we draw a red line and don't enforce it. They know when we uh, say there'll be consequences, and there aren't consequences. And it doesn't just affect the particular you know, region where our policy is failing. It leads to a broader failure worldwide. Uh, I agree with you, and that goes back to the talk. How can you talk about sanctions being serious when there are opportunities for you to simply not cooperate, simply to say, look, you've been a bad actor, Russia, so we're not going to forget getting ahead of the curve on start new start. We're just going to stop right where we are. Forget an open skies deal. We're just going to stop where we are. And we can't even get the administration to stop. Vladimir Putin must be just looking at us going, this, these are the strangest people I've ever <laughs> competed with in my life. You know, I do think he really wonders, I mean, are we being clever or tricky? Exactly. Are we suckering them into doing something and then we're going to sort of, uh, they'll be overextended? Because I do think the it's so so weak and so um, 
I don't know, I'm serious, kind of the administration's response. But I, I have asked, talked to some people who, members of Congress, who do talk to people in the administration, and they just have the impression that uh, the president doesn't. Uh, I said, well, how can the president do this? And right. they just say, well, he doesn't seem to care much about it. He thinks a lot of this is all just kind of Cold War era <laughs> stuff to worry about. He said privately and off the record, I gather, on, on a flight two or three weeks ago, that, look, Ukraine really isn't strategically important. Mm-hmm. Again, you can rationalize a lot of things. you know, And, of course, no one thing is that crucial. Does it really matter? Right. I don't know if the open sky they have certain sensors on their planes. Maybe it's not the end of the world. Does it really matter if... Russia sees this Crimea, the big picture of things. But you add up these little things, and you get a pattern that foreign leaders see, and it is such, it is so dangerous. I mean, weakness really is provocative, mm-hmm. and we just look so weak across the board. Uh, but uh, in the domestic politics, Democrats say that they look strong, and it's the Republicans who look weak because the Democrats can play the you-don't-like-women card, and they can play the you're-all-racist card as Congressman Steve Israel. I, I admired him over the weekend saying, well, not all Republicans are racist. And I thought it was interesting because I heard a report on, uh, I guess it was National Public Radio, Cookie Roberts, saying it doesn't matter if it's true, it's working. And that seems to be the status of the political fight here. And, Bill, the facts just don't matter in the United States. The facts don't matter. What matters is will it work? I mean, that seems, and it's amazing how much of the media just kind of goes along with that. And, oh, that's kind of a clever move by the Democrats when they know perfectly well that both the war on women trope and the uh, and the racism accusation right. are, are false and ridiculous and really offensive, obviously. I don't think they're working. There's no evidence of that. There's no empirical evidence that, that Democrats are gaining anything much anywhere. And they may have stabilized some of their free fall for now, um, but that's probably more due to the fact that we haven't had any Obamacare nightmares in a week or two, and we'll probably get some, unfortunately, over the coming months with premium increases and, and discoveries that there really aren't seven-plus million people on, on the exchanges and so forth. So. Uh, no, I don't think this is going to end up working. I think it really looks desperate. Now, I do think Republicans have to not curl up and go into a fetal position when accused of these things, and they don't have to bend over backwards and say, oh, no, we really like right. people. They need to be uh, very forthright, and they really need to take on the Democrats and mm-hmm. point out you know, just the, the incredible sort of degradation of our political discourse that this involves. Uh, I was on uh, Fox, and they played that audio for me, and the Democrat was arguing that this was all true. And I said, hey— is every Democrat a creepy perv who chases his interns around the office or sends pictures of his naughty bits to unsuspecting females via Twitter? Well, no, not all of them. And that seemed to end the conversation. I want to ask you about something that's, that's in a hot topic, particularly in New England. Uh, Brandeis University had extended the opportunity for Ayan Hirsi Ali to speak and receive an honorary degree. Under pressure from CARE and the Muslim Student Association, they've withdrawn it. What's particularly interesting about that, Bill, is the Boston Globe has editorialized on behalf of Brandeis, saying they did the right thing by silencing her. But they both, the Globe and Brandeis, invited and welcomed Bill Ayers to speak in 2009, celebrated the fact that they had him on the campus and that it was the right thing to do. It didn't matter that he had built bombs targeting American soldiers similar to the Boston Marathon bomb. It just didn't matter because free speech, free speech. I'm, I'm trying to understand the current state of modern American liberalism. I'm at a loss. Well, it's pathetic, and the current state of our universities is pathetic, and, the, and as a Jew, I will say the current state of many of our Jewish institutions is just pathetic. Here's a courageous woman, uh, really a, a wonderful life story, an eloquent writer. Uh, you know, Brandeis can give her an honorary degree or not, but uh, obviously they can, they can make that decision. They don't have to give her one. Once they announce that they're giving her one, because presumably they've decided she's right. worthy of the honor, then they pull it back on the basis of ridiculous pressure 
by um, this, you know, official Islamist kind of grievance group mm-hmm. and a few idiotic faculty and students, because she's once or twice in interviews been a little rough on Islam itself, not just on uh, Islamism or radical sure. Islam, and therefore what she's she's bigoted. I mean, it's so unbelievably ridiculous. Are we not allowed to uh, ever honor anyone who said anything critical about any religion? That'll be a pretty short list of people who can get honors. Uh, uh, in the future. But of course, you can say anything you want critical about Christianity or about Israel or Judaism or America or, or a million other things, but that's great. You can honor those people. But an actually admirable woman of color, I might add, uh, who has been under death threats, uh, no, she gets hers revoked because it's, uh, the administration doesn't have the spine to stand up to a few faculty and some outside pressure groups. And then the Boston Globe goes along with that. I really wonder what they're and that, what they're thinking, that's just, it's so, uh, I mean, I don't even, uh, you're right about the Bill Ayers comparison, but I don't even like making that comparison. Ayan Hirsi Ali is actually an admirable person. This isn't right. sort of like, well, we have some people on our side who are also a little bit right. odd, but, you know, they should be tolerated. I mean, she really is an impressive sure. woman. And let's have the, let's debate her mm-hmm. against the role models of the left and see who, 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 is Teddy Kennedy a more impressive person than Ayan Hirsi Ali? Did anyone complain when he got a million honorary degrees despite his uh, uh, life and what he did at times. So, I mean, it really is. All, all you need to know about Massachusetts, uh, Bill, is that Ted Kennedy is a feminist icon and Ion Hersiali is not yeah. allowed to speak. It's all right there. Bill, Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us here. We really appreciate your time.